0: You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On our podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our fall 2023 sermon series, In the Wilderness. In this series, we're walking with the Israelites from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land and looking at what we can learn about trusting God more even when the journey looks different than we anticipated or expected. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Anyway, this morning we are beginning a new sermon series. As we continue to walk with the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land, right? So this series will find us in the book of numbers, which unless you really love math, probably sounds like a worse book of the Bible than Leviticus. Right? Whole book about numbers. But but that name numbers comes from the Greek name for this book of the Bible which when 70 Jewish scholars in Alexandria translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, the version we know as the Septuagint, they gave it this, num- this name, Numbers. But Numbers isn't the name of this book in Hebrew. So they chose to change it. But in Hebrew, this scroll of the Torah is called in the wilderness, in the wilderness. Doesn't that sound way better than numbers? I mean, apologies to all you math teachers, but in the wilderness sounds way better than numbers. So that's what we're calling this sermon series, In the Wilderness. And through it, we're going to walk with the Israelites from Mount Sinai, through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until they reach the promised land. And through these stories and these sermons, we're not going to hit all of them, but through these stories and these sermons, my hope is that we learn something more of what it means to trust God, even in the desert and even when the journey takes longer than we anticipated or expected. This past week, I officiated a funeral service for a woman who would have been 99 years old on February 1st. Her sister had been connected here at FUMC before she passed away in 2016. Anyway, this woman told her niece not too long ago, when it had become clear to her that she didn't have much time left on this earth. She told her niece that if she had to live her life over again, she wouldn't change a thing. And I was struck by that declaration because I don't think it's a declaration that many people can make. Right? So many of us look back over our lives and we can point to things that we would change if we could. I know there are things in my own life that if I had the opportunity to go back and do differently, I would. But it can be really difficult for people to live in the present moment, can it? Have you ever noticed how many people are stuck living in the past? Either they're consumed by the regrets they have for decisions that they wish they could change, or they're trapped by some hurt or trauma that they experienced, or they can't let go of the good old days, right, when everything was better and life was good, and we didn't have to deal with all the problems that we have to face today. And in doing so, in, in holding on to the past and living in the past, they miss the life that's unfolding in the present moment because they're always looking in the rearview mirror. But on the other side of that coin, coin I think there are just as many people who are trying to live in the future, right? People whose minds are always set on that next thing. People who, who think that once they reach that next promotion or they buy that bigger house or they go on that upcoming vacation, whatever that next milestone that they're holding out for, then life will be good except that the never, the next never stops coming because there's always something that's just out of reach. And so they rush past the experiences of the present moment because they're always looking to the horizon and the horizon is always in the distance. So these two temptations to to look either to the past or to the future trap people. And it can be particularly strong when we find ourselves going through a difficult season or a season we might call a wilderness experience. This is the struggle that the Israelites faced all through the book of Numbers. They'd bounce back and forth between longing for the promised land and reminiscing about life in Egypt, often looking back through rose-colored glasses. I mean, they were slaves, after all. And so in this passage that Will read for us this morning from Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites were in one of their looking back phases, right? They had left Egypt on the night of the Passover more than two years ago, spending most of that time camped at the base of Mount Sinai where God had given them the tablets of the law and all those instructions about how they were to live as the people of God. They had entered into that covenant relationship with God. They had built the tabernacle from all of these directions they were given, which would be the very place where God's presence would dwell among them. But now, all that's in the past... Now, they're in the mo- on the move again, and they're heading to a place called Kadesh Barnea, which is where Moses would send the 12 spies to scout out the promised land. But along the way, some of those Israelites began to remember just how good they had had it in Egypt. I mean, they had had meat, they had, had Fish. They had cucumbers and melons. Forget the fact that they were enslaved and oppressed. They had meat. It's a good thing. But in looking back at their former life, they grew discontent with their current lives. So they began to complain that God wasn't providing for them. And they were tired of the food that God was providing for them. They were sick of eating that manna, the food that God had miraculously provided for them the whole way along their journey. If we were to turn back to Exodus chapter 16, remember last week we talked about how uh, Exodus and Numbers parallel each other in so many ways. If we could turn back, today to Exodus chapter 16, we could read a very similar story from before the Israelites ever arrived at Mount Sinai. The Israelites were complaining about not having enough food to eat, and they were talking about how much better life had been in Egypt. So God told Moses he was going to send manna in the morning and quail in the evening so that the people could eat. And God gave very specific instructions about gathering just enough food for your family for each day, but not keeping any overnight, unless it was the day before Sabbath, when they were to gather enough for two days so they could rest on the Sabbath, right? And Exodus 16 tells us all about those instructions, and it tells us that Israel would eat that manna throughout the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. So God had been providing for his people all along the way. And while I'm not quite sure what happened to the quail between Exodus 16 and Numbers 11, clearly they had not been going hungry, even if they were tired of eating what they were eating. And so they grumbled. And God takes their ungratefulness for his provision as not only a rejection of the manna that they were eating and tired of eating, but as a rejection of God himself. Because their eyes were set on their former lives, they were missing the way that God was meeting their need in the present moment. And friends... I wonder how often the Israelites' story is our story. How often do we miss what God is doing to meet our needs in the present moment because we're fixated on what we had at a prior time that we no longer have, or we're focused on, on a fear that we won't have enough at some point in the future? How often? Is Israel's story our own story? I heard a story shared on a podcast this week from the life of Corey Tenboom. Do you know that name? Yeah. Corey Tenboom and her family, if you don't know that name, uh, hid Jewish people from the Holocaust as Nazis invaded the Netherlands. And as a result, it's estimated that over 800 Jewish lives were spared. But the Ten Boom family was arrested. And 10 days after they were arrested, Corey's father died in prison. And eventually, Corey and her sister were sent to a concentration camp where her sister also later died. Corey was the only one of her family to survive. And she recounts much of that story in her most famous book, The Hiding Place. Anyway, Corey would tell the story later in life as she became something of of a figure. She would tell a story about when she was young, and her father would often talk to her about God's grace. He would tell her, Corey, when we're going. On a trip by train, when do I give you your ticket? And her answer was, Papa, you give it to me just when we're about to board the, the train, right? Which, if you've ever had kids yourself, you know is a very good time to give a child something like a train ticket. Not before, they're going to lose it, right? So she'd say, Papa, You give it to me just when we're about to board the train. Our father would say, it's the same with God's grace. He gives us grace just when we need it. He gives us grace just when we need it. And friends, it's so true. Right? God gives us grace when we need it. And God provides at just the time of our need. He's never late in his provision, but rarely is God early in giving us his grace. He provides at just the right time. But when we're not looking for it in the moment, when we're too busy worrying about the future or longing for the past, we miss seeing how God chooses to provide. In John chapter six, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of fish and two little, nope, did I just say five loaves of fish? (laughs) It's been a long week. Five loaves of bread and two little fish. And when the crowd finds him on the other side of the lake after he's somehow beaten them over there because he walked across the lake rather than around the lake, he tells the people that they're only seeking him because he filled their bellies. They weren't seeking him because of what the miracle pointed to. They were seeking him because he had satisfied their hunger. They were looking to Jesus because he had satisfied just that need that they felt. And so Jesus tells them in, in John chapter six, beginning in verse 48, he says, "'I am the bread of life. "'Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, "'and yet they died. "'But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, "'which anyone may eat and not die, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. You see, Jesus understood. He knew that those people in the crowd and and us today, we have a deeper need than just physical hunger. Right? And he is the only one who can meet that need. The, the ancestors of the people in those crowd, the, the people who were grumbling here in Numbers 11, they ate that manna in the wilderness, but they still died. Even though they had eaten the bread that came from God himself. But Jesus says he's the bread of life. Not just bread that gives physical life, but bread that gives eternal life, life with God. So friends, it's, we have to learn what it means to let Jesus meet our need in his timing and his way. But I think even more than that, it's often about learning to seek Jesus for himself First, and not just what he can give us or how he can bless our lives. Going back to Numbers 11, even though God was angry that the people had rejected him for not providing in the way that they wanted, he still gave them what they were asking for, right? When they, when they cried out for me, he sent the quail again. And God said they would have so much quail that it would be coming out their noses, that they would learn to hate it. And, friends, sometimes God is going to answer our prayers to meet our needs in a way that's different than what we were expecting Him to do. But sometimes God is going to answer our prayers in exactly the way we're asking for it, as a lesson that we don't actually know what's best for ourselves. So be careful what you pray for, because you might just get it. I remember at one point in college, and I don't have time to tell this whole story, but I I started praying that God would would teach me to trust him more. Uh, that was a bad, bad choice. But he showed up in the midst of it. Maybe I'll tell that story another time. But just like Mr. Tenboom would tell Corey when she was just a little girl, God gives us grace for each moment. He may not give us what we think we need. He may not give it when we think we need it, but he will give us the grace to endure wherever he leads us. And so I don't know what needs you might be feeling today, but you can trust that God knows You can trust that in the midst of those needs, he alone can meet the deepest needs of your heart. The question we have to ask is, am I going to seek God for the things God can give me? Like the Israelites looking for meat, like the crowds looking for bread. Or will I seek God for God's for him alone and will I let him be a